2: and we're back this is inside black and gold and nothing has really happened since friday so (laughs) we don't have a ton to talk about but i did sit on a conference call with daniel jeremiah for about two hours on friday nfl network's draft analyst and he does a really good job i do have to give daniel credit like i was a little annoyed by how the conference call operated because it was two hours of a zoom call and you kind of just sit there and wait and you have your hand raised i don't know if anyone listening has ever been on a zoom call but when talking about reporters you know we did this all through 2020 so it's you feel like you should be good at it by now and it was just like you sit there with like 150 reporters on the zoom call and your hands raised and it's just waiting for the guy to call on you and then like you're just like every time they say someone's name you're like oh is it oh darn and then there's a guy named jeff that gets called on like oh oh darn and then, uh, so about an hour and a half in, I got to talk to DJ, but he's, he's, he he's a professional, like he was on that call for two hours and he just never missed a beat. Uh, and that guy, that guy is about as well-researched as you can be. And I thought he had some really interesting things to say about Anthony Richardson, about Bijan Robinson, about the tight end position. And he made a really good point, which is you look up and down this draft. This is a deep, deep draft. And I hope that as Mickey Loomis is looking at his board he is not weighing how he can trade the back half of his draft board for an extra third round pick like he did in 2020 because i think you would be missing out on a lot of really intriguing draft options if you did that yeah you you talk about uh Jeremiah and just what he brings it's
1: kind of like that Mike Detle scouting yes like that just being able to pull it immediately from the top of your head and not even have to think twice about it is is truly amazing for sure and i i wish i had some that uh any of that recall kind of kind of deal to even see that much film footage of what these guys
2: are able to digest i guess that is a good comparison because like whenever you're if you ever talk to mike detelier you could name just like the backup and from like wichita state in like 2022 and he oh, would be like, Oh yeah. yeah, I talked to his granddad <laughs> two weeks ago. And he told me that, uh, yeah, it's wild. And he could be lying, but he's confident enough that I believe him. And, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a that's an important thing to have in sports commentary. But one guy that he had was really high on, and I have been a little skeptical on, and I said, I've said repeatedly that I expect him to kind of fall down a little bit throughout the combine process. He's very high on Anthony Richardson and, it does seem like this buzz is not just all smoke. Like there is some fire here because here's what uh, he had to say as it pertained to Anthony Richardson.
0: The best way to do, you know, the quarterback conversation is talk to the teams that don't need one, and then you'll get kind of an accurate feel, just how they evaluate them and what they think. And Anthony Richardson is the, you know, the second quarterback for several teams that I talked to. And, and we can look at the numbers and, you know, I it doesn't look great on paper and you look at the accuracy, this, that, and the other. He's got elite, elite arm strength. He's a rare athlete. You don't see quarterbacks, you know, running away from LSU with 80-yard touchdown runs. Like he's got big time, big time ceiling, big time ability. And you know, you can find the games if you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson. You pop on Utah, you think he's the first pick in the draft. Um, even Missouri, he makes some big time plays in that game. So, you know, I know it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I know he hasn't played a ton, but teams are you're starting to look at some of these quarterbacks as lottery tickets. And this one has the biggest payout. So that's why I think you're going to see Richardson go pretty high. The reason I had him there with the lions is I think sometimes when you have that, those two picks, I almost, you know, I say it's a luxury because you're trying to get good players. But when you look at the landscape of the NFL right now, and you look at, you know, the high, high end quarterback play, you know, this gives you an opportunity to, you know, take a shot on one of those guys who could be that, you know, he's not at that level right now but ceiling wise with with him and Jared Goff his ceilings you know immensely higher Jared's a, is a is a solid steady player right now he's playing winning football um but i think there is a ceiling on him this you know with Anthony Richardson you don't have a ceiling so that's why i think you'll see him go but i don't think you know in, in making just calls over the last couple of days i don't even think he'll get there
2: yeah so what he's referring to there is he has in his latest mock draft he has Anthony Richardson going to the lions at number 18 and I do think that, that does, if if that is the reality that happens, it does put the Saints in play. Because I'm not I'm not convinced that the Lions would take a quarterback at 18. And if he got past the Lions, then that would, that would very much put the Saints in that next kind of tier of, of teams that might draft a quarterback. They might trade up to 22 and get ahead of the Ravens, right? Like you could see that happen. But I did think one thing he said there was interesting, and it's like in order to get a good read on the quarterback position, you talk to the teams that don't have them because – Are are the the teams that don't need one because they're not going to give you a smoke screen. Like if you went and talked to the saints, they would just lie to your face (laughs) and, and you would never know because they don't want to give that information away. Um, The saints are looking at their paper going Anthony, who I've never heard of him. Is it good? (laughs) Florida. Oh, okay. No, we haven't, we haven't seen anything. No. Yeah. I do still think like for, and he brings this clip up and this is the clip that gets thrown out. Is that LSU run that ADR touchdown run first things first. (laughs) <laughs> there were a lot of business decisions made on that play. Like he he only had an 80-yard touchdown run because no one from LSU wanted to make a tackle. And and it is impressive that he was able to do it. But at the same time, like there is a there is an element of bad defense going on there. Second, he played badly in that game. Like LSU was in a position where they could they they could absorb an 80-yard touchdown run in the third quarter and still win comfortably. Like he did not have a good game, and that's kind of where I think. It's like, yeah. If you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, look at the highlights. If you want to realize why he's not going to be the number one overall pick, unless you listen to T. Bob, because uh, he's very much on that train. Watch the games that he did not play well in, because there are a lot of those too. And you know, it, it's it, it is it is tough. But I, I DJ did have a good a good uh, quote in this conference call, which is like the scouting kind of cliche is like if you can do it once, that means you can do it. Um, and I think that's kind of where you're at with Anthony Richardson is if you're taking him high in the draft, you are believing that you can kind of distill all of those highlight plays into a elite NFL quarterback and kind of filter out some of the bad plays and some of the mistakes. And, and then, and you, then you're projecting that because it's not there right now. It is a, he is a project, but he's a, he is a very high level project.
1: Yeah. But when you see the The arm strength, is elite, the escapability, the his just quickness, uh elite, really athleticism. and yeah, someone's definitely, i think gonna fall obviously in love with that package. The problem is though his accuracy, I know is gonna be talked about a lot. And can is that a is that a trait you can really develop, or is that one of those deals you got it's either you got it or you don't. you know, to me, like being, when people describe someone as being the ball hawk, can you really teach that? Or is that kind of like an instinctual thing that you grow up in, in, in football and it's
2: developed. It's not something that you can just be taught to be. I think you can improve accuracy because you can improve mechanics. Like you can, you can make sure he's not throwing off his back foot and he's not, you know, like there's stuff you can do to improve that. But what you can't teach, I think is like understanding where the ball needs to be and understanding the the pace that needs to go on the ball and you know how to how to throw a touch pass versus how to throw a bullet pass and when it's appropriate and that's the type of thing that i think is kind of innate is just that understanding because you don't have time to think about oh what kind of pass should i throw right now like that's that's yeah. very much an in the moment thing like how do i throw this guy open versus how do i throw an interception right now and that's where i don't think you can teach it but you can be a little you can learn how to be accurate a little bit more you can learn the mistakes you're making and what's causing the ball to sail and you can fix that But it it is tough. Like if you're not doing it now, how much are you going to get better? Right. The the question I have more for college quarterbacks than whether they can improve their mechanics is how do you play when you have to go under center? Right. Cause that's a completely, when when you have to turn your back to the field, like not all quarterbacks can handle that. Um, And like, that's the one big question that a lot of college players, a lot of college quarterbacks struggle to answer when they get to the NFL level. Cause you can't run out of the shotgun exclusively. You just can't do it. And so that's that's something that as we get, you know, more and more of these spread systems in college, you just don't know until you kind of have to see him. But I do think that that he's an intriguing guy. And I'd love to see him on the Saints. And like he's a guy who, right, if you draft a Jameis Winston, or I'm sorry, if you if you retain a Jameis Winston like we were talking about, and you draft an Anthony Richardson, I'm more than I'm more than fine with that setup. And you kind of allow him to learn. And you go from there. But that would be true with Andy Dalton. That would be true with a lot of guys. Anyone other than Derek Carr, probably. Because if you are drafting an Anthony Richardson, you are not committing $30, $35 million to a quarterback. It just would not make sense.
1: No, there's if you're if
2: you're getting Derek Carr, he's your quarterback at least for the next, I'd say, three seasons. Well, you're going to be – like, you don't have a choice. Like, you're going to have to be committed to him. Yeah, he's yeah. going to make sure whatever contract he signs makes it, like, impossible for you to bench him. But I, I will say that, I mean
1: – Obviously, if by miracle of miracles, the Anthony Richardson or some quarterback does fall to them, there's that possibility because you want to develop an arm. But yeah, I couldn't see them maybe trying to make a move up to get that QB then if they
2: did have a car in place. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next segment. We're going to get into, you know, the the Bears are reportedly shopping the number one overall pick and whether that's a realistic thing. We're going to get into more of that. But for now, let's kind of shift gears And talk about the tight end position, because I think you look at what is the deepest position in this draft, and I don't think there's any question it's tight end. And this was, was, you know, I, I was patting myself on the back a little bit because when we talked to DJ, his take on Darnell Washington was virtually identical to mine in that, like, you can get him in the third round. And it's only because there are probably 11 tight ends that could go in the top three rounds. It's not about talent. It's about like, yeah, okay, Dalton Kincaid is number one. You want, he's probably going to go in the first round, but then there's all of these guys who you could feasibly get in, on day one or day two. And uh, here's what here's what he had to say on that.
0: I have 11 tight ends that I have top three round grades on, which is ridiculous number. Um, it is just a really really good group. And to me, um, I know he's coming off of an injury right now. And I know he's kind of more of a of a flex tight end. Uh, but Dalton Kincaid from Utah is – I think he's a big-time player. I think he's one of the, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this draft. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. Um, he's just sudden in everything that he does. He separates. He's outstanding after the catch. You know, he can win on contact over the middle of the field. Um, he's, he's really, really good after the catch. You know, as a blocker, he's going to more shield you and wall off. I, I don't like, you know, when you compare guys to all-time – Great players, but just in his movement stuff, he moves. He kind of looks like Kelsey, just the way he moves in and out of breaks. Um, he's a really, really good player. I think he's, you know, I I really like Zach Ertz when he was coming out the year he was coming out. I think he's a better version uh, of Zach Ertz. So he's up there. You've got Mayer, who's just an all around tight end, not going to be real dynamic. Uh, at a Notre Dame, but he is kind of the king of the combat catches. Um, he's got a good feel on option routes, just keeping guys on his back and kind of walling them off and making plays. Um, but a good overall tight end, good blocker. Darnell Washington is massive from Georgia. He's, he's like playing with a sixth offensive lineman in the run game and he's still developing and learning in the pass game. You know, I think there's more there. Obviously, they had the best tight end in the country there in Bowers, who's just an absolute freak show. Um, so he doesn't get as many uh, balls as he would in another offense. But um, he's, he's, he's really intriguing. Musgrave from Oregon State's going to probably run in a low four fives at 255 pounds. Um, he could go in the first round. I mean, then you just you start going through the list. Laporta from Iowa – um Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. You get Davis Allen from Clemson's Intriguing. Payne Durham from Purdue. Um Schoonmaker from Michigan, Strange from Penn State, Wiley from Cincinnati. Like there's those are the eleven guys. It is a it is a really, really good group.
2: Yeah, I think when you when you hear that list kind of spelled out, it does kind of feel like if the Saints walk away from this draft and don't end up with a tight end, I'll be disappointed. Because I think this is where you could really find some elite talent and not have to spend a premium. Like, I don't want them to draft Dalton Kincaid in the first round. I, I understand the assessment. I understand how good he is. I just don't think that the value of tight end in the first round makes sense. But, you know, if you can get a like a starting tight end in the third round and the type of quality you have, even if it's a little bit of a project, like a Darnell Washington would be, at, like as a DJ said, he's a little still developmental in the passing game. Like, that's a huge win. And I'd be really disappointed if, the, the same way I've been disappointed the last few years, they didn't come away with a running back. I would be very disappointed if they weren't able to do that with the tight end position this year.
1: I definitely feel you there when you when you see all the talent that's um that's being talked about. But what could happen though, there there ends up being that focus on the position, which allows maybe some other slide in talent to to get into their lap kind of thing might be the only way I see them not coming away with someone at tight end. but we've we've definitely talked about it before where it's it's a position that's been a need and and still needs uh, obviously, was addressed, but we haven't seen enough development from Adam Troutman. And if anything, bring in another top tier talent to push him, kind of thing, and and add to that mix with uh, hopefully you get to bring back Juwan, Juwan,
2: Juwan Johnson in the mix. Juwan yeah, Juwansen? Um, Juwan, yes. Juwan, Juwan Juwan. I do think so. We can talk about Troutman. And it's like, yeah, sure. Hopefully, you know, maybe he can kind of pick it up in this final final year of his contract and whatever. But I do think this is that's why this is the year you do it. Because if you're taking a tight end in the third round and you, he does need a little development. He's not yeah. going to be a guy you might trust from day one. You have Troutman who, if nothing else, he's consistent. Like you, you know what to expect from him. And so you aren't going to bat an eye at, at playing him at tight end and starting him at tight end. And then, you know, maybe later in the year, maybe next year you have this guy who's ready to go. He's ready to step in and be that guy. And, that to me makes sense. I always i, always, I call it pipeline positions, um, where you you want to be able to let a player learn. You want to have a Nolte Taylor learning behind a Marsh or Marshawn Lattimore, right? You wanted you know you didn't do this at safety like you didn't have a young safety learning behind Malcolm Jenkins. You didn't have a young quarterback learning behind Drew Brees, but you did have Cade Ellis learning behind Demario Davis, and you see how that development has occurred. And I think that's something that the Saints haven't taken advantage of enough the last few years i think this is an opportunity to do that well we did kind of joke they did develop von bell but they don't pay safeties yeah but von bell was here i mean who they didn't develop him under somebody else no 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 but he was here right. like and kind of was like see you later i mean they develop safeties they just can't, <laughs> They let him go right <laughs> but like they and it, that's to be said they did draft at the safety position like they took like saquon hampton they've had a few other guys that just didn't pan out so it's not for lack of trying but like right now for example I would love to see a running back learning from Alvin Kamara because who knows how long he's got left in his prime or how long he'll stick around. You just haven't had that, right? Mark Ingram doesn't need to learn from Alvin Kamara. (laughs) Mark Ingram was the guy you allowed Alvin to learn from. And I think Alvin's a better player for having learned from Mark. So, I I think that this is kind of a longstanding gripe about how the saints have operated in that regard, but I think they need to do a better job of making sure young players are set up to succeed by being tutored by veteran players who you already have. And you're already depending on. Yeah. You put the, the tight end as some, a position you want to come away with this draft. I think you got to put running back in there too, obviously. Yeah. And so we can, we can hit this and then close out of this segment is, uh, and so that's Bijan Robinson, who is the number one running back on the board. And every year it feels like running back is this position that is very undervalued in terms of like, you're going to get a starter in the second round, right? Like Kenneth Walker was a second round pick. Brees Hall was a, was a third round pick, I want to say. And so, but that, like, if someone wants a running back bad enough, it sounds like, Bijan is is good enough to be taken.
0: The most consistently highly graded player uh, in the draft, because even on some of them, there's some varying opinions. You'll get some people will say on the defensive side, oh, you know, I'm a Will Anderson guy, or maybe I'm a Jalen Carter guy. Everybody says that Bijan Robinson is not only the best running back in this class, he's one of the five best players in this class. He's elite.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing he went on to say was like, taking a running back in the first round isn't necessarily a bad idea, but it has to be by a team that's ready to win. Right, if you are a right. bad team, so like the Giants, taking a running back in the in the top fifteen picks or the top twenty picks or even the first round at all, that's a mistake because you are wasting the prime of this player. Now, if you want to add Clyde Edwards Ela to the Chiefs, right, that's a different story. Even you know Clyde, I would argue didn't pan out, but like the the logic there makes sense. I don't think you see the Saints being in that category of of good teams that are just need one running back away, uh, and so I don't see that him being a target for the Saints. Uh, if it was something though, what if he ends up falling to twenty nine and you're you're left there with that opportunity? That's what I'm saying. Twenty nine, I would not consider him for the Saints. If he drops to forty, still okay. Well, right. That's that's what I'm saying is I don't see the Saints as being one good running back away. But if he ends up at forty, I'm heavily considering it. But again, there's so many good running backs. Such a deep running back draft that, like you know, you're looking at mocks and obviously mocks are just guessing a lot of times. But you know, you're getting. Ty J Spears, Evan Hall in the fourth round. Yeah, is, you know, obviously Bijan is a lot better than those players, but is he by enough that you would bypass taking a premier defensive tackle, a premier interior lineman? I, I don't think so. But that's kind of where I'm at.
1: No, it's, it's definitely tough. But when you hear something like that from Daniel Jeremiah being a top five talent in the draft, that ends up falling. You know, if it would t- if there was there be a situation where he's there at 29, it's kind of hard not to pull that trigger, especially since it's a it's that it's a big position of need. I'd put it up there with the
2: interior of the D line. Yeah, and the the thing working against him is there are a lot of examples, a lot of examples (laughs) of first round running backs clearly not working out and clearly being a mistake. Rashad Penny, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, you know, and, and Saquon is probably the most successful of those three. Right. And he was the number two pick, which is crazy to me, but like he at least has, has been that kind of superstar talent like if you're taking a running back in the top 15 picks he better be the best player on your team he better come in and be a superstar on day one and and Saquon was that so like you can at least kind of look at it like that but he has to be that or it's a waste of a pick he can't be a good running back he, he needs to be an ascendant running back and whether Bijan can be that or not that's a tough bet like, like, who knows? But either way, that's I think that's it for my uh my my draft takes or my combine takes. You got anything else before we move on? No, but the yeah, the
1: running back position, like I said, is something I I definitely have way up there with the interior of the D line for this squad in the draft, and I, I, along
2: with tight end, I'd, I'd say I'd be disappointed. That'd be my big disappointment if you don't come away with the back. No doubt, I agree with that too. Especially the situation Kamara currently finds himself in, and you you ideally want to come away with the back that you feel confident you could play this season. You know, you don't want to come back with a seventh round running back, or like maybe is a lottery ticket, right? Like I think you're going to have to get aggressive in the mid rounds. But I, I agree with that. And real quick, Kamara's court date is this week. Yeah, that's worth mentioning, March second. So I believe that would be Thursday. Well, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether he shows up. What happens there? I don't think it's going to be like a you know, a, a lot of action. I think you're just kind of at the point now where this is getting started, you know, and the argue, the arguments are gonna get made and you're gonna kind of set like pleas and stuff, I think, and uh, you're gonna go from there. But either way, it's gonna be, that's gonna be where you kick everything off and we kind of get a better picture of how things are gonna look. And I think you're gonna start to see some evidence leaking out and maybe finally get that video of what started all of this. Yeah. We need to dip inside the black and gold funds
1: for a trip to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, <that was> true. <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Live on the street, live from Las Vegas, outside the Las Vegas municipal courtroom. I don't think that's like, but hey, we could dream. Yeah. All right, stick around. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Steve. He's Steve Geller. I'm Jeff Nowak I'm forgetting who I am. One more segment coming back at you. We're going to talk about trades. Trades. Let's get hey. some trades.